G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Yes, we do some rather illogical things. However, expecting to hear the voice of God is not at all illogical because the Bible tells us 15 times in Genesis chapter 1 alone, God speaks. In Hebrews chapter 1, the Hebrew writer says that in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many various times in various ways. So the point is we serve a God who is constantly talking to his people. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello and welcome. My name is Bill and this is Today with Jeff Vines. In this series, Talk to Me, Pastor Jeff is helping us talk to God for the first time in our lives or to reignite the habit. Pastor Jeff is reading from 2 Peter chapter 1 and he's also helping us recognise God's voice in our lives. Here's Pastor Jeff to begin the message. This weekend, I'm in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through 20. It's going to take us a while to get there. And just for your information, I'm going to be using the NASB translation because of a particular word phrase that we'll get to just in a moment. We're experiencing quite a revival right now. And what we mean by that is we're seeing things that we haven't seen in a while. People are picking up the Bible and reading it, reading it that haven't read it in a long time. There's this kind of catalytic force working in the lives of people to inspire them to do things they've not done in a very long time. And that's part of revival. Suddenly, passions that had faded now become a present reality, and you find yourself wanting and desiring the things of God more than you had previously in any other time of your life. Well, as we get into this revival, one of the things that we are saying that we want to do is position ourselves, live in a posture of life where we hear the voice of God. Oftentimes in our church, we've talked about what we're all ultimately after is not a perfect life. That's impossible. But what what we're after, what our souls are after, whether we realize it or not, is that we want somehow to obtain the centralized joy where no matter what's going on around us, there's a deep-seated joy within us. And where sorrow occurs, of course it does in the human experience, but it's always on the peripheral. So we may experience times of sadness and there's a time to weep and a time to mourn as the writer of Ecclesiastes tells us. But ultimately, even in the midst of those times of sorrow, it is is possible that you can live with an overarching sense of joy. And that comes when you've answered the biggest questions of life. So one of the pursuits, probably the primary pursuit of the Christ follower, other than being conformed to the image of Jesus, is that we somehow gain this overarching sense of joy so that no matter what's happening in our lives, there's a real peace that comes with knowing Christ. Now, the question is, if it's, if it's the centralized joy that we're after, how does it come? 
And in this series, how is it connected? Because it is inextricably tied together with hearing the voice of God. Centralized joy and listening and hearing the voice of God. In order to gain this kind of joy, the first thing you have to realize is that we are indeed emotional creatures. You know, when somebody tells me don't be so emotional, I want to say, hey, that's who God made us to be. God experiences emotion. Go read Genesis 1 through 6, and you will read where God is happy, where God is grieved, where God is relenting, where there's something he had done that now he's taken a second look at. That's an entirely different theological conversation. But for now, we are created in the image of God, and God is emotional. Therefore, we are. In fact, I got a call from my daughter who's in Kazakhstan, and she's working on a study guide uh, for my book, Dinner with Skeptics, and for the new one that's coming out very soon. And she, she said, Dad, I, I got to tell you something. We were FaceTiming, the beautiful thing about FaceTime. Dad, I got to tell you something. I did all this work. It took me probably three months to really find the sources, to make sure everything was documented, to come up with good questions and to write it in a way that would inspire and compel. But then I went on a website that was artificial intelligence. And I just just took a shot in the dark and I ask it to write a devotional based on a Jeff Bynes sermon. And she said, Dad, it wrote it in about three minutes. And she said, you know, what's the world coming to? And I said, well, wait a minute. My sermons aren't online as far as printed. She said, it doesn't matter. They probably pulled it from YouTube or from just pulled it from the World Wide Web and within three minutes had written a devotion. She said, Dad, do you realize we could write 365-day devotional in probably one day? with artificial intelligence. I said, well, was it, did you read it? She said, yeah. I said, did it sound like me? She said, yeah, but I did notice something was missing. And I said, what's that? She said, the heart. The words were there, fact, they were my words, but it didn't have the emotion, the feeling. Uh, I've mentioned this uh, example quite a few times. I'm not a chess player and I really never had the desire to play chess. But I'm interested in reading about famous chess matches. And one that I've always had an interest in that I've read about time and time again is when Deep Blue, a 1.4 ton computer, faced off against Gary uh, Kasparov, the world champion uh, chess player. Before the big match, they were going to pit man against computer. And the best analysis of our time kept trying to make an attempt to describe the difference between man and computer but they could not avoid using words like feeling and soul and emotion, even the word God. The news reports kept using personhood imagery to describe the computer until finally, David Gelertner, who's professor of computer science at Yale, came out with this. And I, it's, it's rather lengthy, but it's important. He says, friends, it's a machine. The computer's name, Deep Blue, is a machine. The idea that Deep Blue has a mind is absurd. How can an object that wants nothing, fears nothing, enjoys nothing, needs nothing, and cares about nothing have a mind? It can win at chess, but not because it wants to. It isn't happy when it wins or sad when it loses. And I love this line. What are its aftermatch plans if it beats Kasparov? Is it hoping to take Deep Pink out for a night on the town? It doesn't care about chess or anything else. He goes on to say, no matter what amazing feats they perform, inside they will always be the same, absolute zero. 
No computer can achieve artificial thought without achieving artificial emotion as well. In the long run, I doubt if there's any kind of human behavior computers can't fake, any kind of performance they can't put on. It is conceivable, he says, that one day computers will be better than humans at almost everything. I can imagine, he says, that a person might one day have a computer for a best friend. That will be sad, like having a dog for your best friend, but even sadder. Now, obviously, he's never had a dog. But the gap he finishes between the human and the surrogate is permanent and will never be closed. Machines will continue to make life easier, healthier, richer, and more puzzling. And human beings will continue to care about the same things they always have about themselves, about one another, and many of them about God. What a unique capacity God has placed within humanity, the capacity to feel. That's as real as it gets, folks. We're not just cerebral. We are creatures that experience, that feel deeply. Now, that's the first thing you have to realize if you ever hope to gain this centralized joy and understand the connection between that joy and the words and the voice of God. Second thing is nothing makes us feel more intensely than words aptly spoken. If you've ever heard a wife say to her husband, you never tell me you love me. And he might respond by saying, but I show you, but ask any wife and she'll tell you it's not enough. We are driven by words. They catalyze our feelings. The wounds of men whose fathers never told them that they love them run deep. Musicians don't settle just for melodies. It, they insist on putting words to express themselves. Emotions and words are inextricably tied together. In fact, God himself, the ultimate father, spoke words to his own son when he said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. You are my son. I love you. I'm proud of you. And we too are emotional, rational beings who need words. Having been created in the image of God, God knows that. We're wired like that. That comes from God. And so as you go through the Bible, you recognize God spoke, he speaks, and in fact, is still speaking, is always speaking. Now, here's the problem. I'm out in the parking lot a few weekends ago, and I met a person, and I could tell they were distraught, and I said, hey, how are you doing? And they said, not good. And I said, well, what's wrong? And the person said, I feel left out. You keep talking about how God speaks to you. Honestly, pastor, do you know what I hear from God? Nothing. Seriously? Do you know what God says to me, pastor? Absolutely nothing. And then the person said, I think it's all psychosomatic. Now, you know what that word means, right? It comes from two Greek words, psyche, the mind, and uh, somatikos, the body. Psychologists and psychiatrists use this same terminology to express that when someone does something mentally, cerebrally, even if it's false, it can still impact the body. So if you are worried and you're constant, constantly afraid of something that is never going to eventuate, even though it isn't real, those emotions bring about real impact on the body, heart attack, anxiety, stress. Spiritually speaking, you truly believe that God is speaking to you. This is what the person was saying. It's so important, stay with me. You Christians believe that God is speaking to you and you desperately want to hear from God, and you work yourself up into an emotional frenzy where you actually do start hearing voices, but it's not the voice of God, it's your own word. Now, 
as we had a longer conversation that I can't go into, it is very true that Christians are capable of doing some mind-boggling things. I love it when a person says, God has told me that this Bible passage, which has been studied by some of the greatest minds for over 2,000 years, actually means this. (laughs) So suddenly, God gave them a revelation of what the Bible means. And it's opposed to what people have said for the last 2,000 years. Who, scholars who have great wisdom and language and the conclusion they came to is different from the conclusion that we've had for thousands of years. Or somebody might say, the devil is attacking me. The city came today and turned off my water and gas. Well, let me give you some news. The reason the city came and turned off your water and gas is because you didn't pay your bill. It had nothing to do with the devil. And then I've heard people say, God told me to leave my wife and marry another woman because he wants me to be happy. And of course, my question is, does he not want your wife to be happy too? So yes, we do some rather illogical things. However, expecting to hear the voice of God is not at all illogical. And the reason is because the Bible tells us 15 times in Genesis chapter one alone, God speaks. In Hebrews chapter one, the Hebrew writer says that in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many various times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So the point is we serve a God who is constantly talking to his people. He wired us with receptors to hear the voice of God. We're the sons and daughters of God and a God who wants relationship with his people. Well, good fathers talk to their children. We are the bride of Christ, we're told. Good husbands talk to their wives. So going back to the person in the parking lot, if you are a Christ follower and you are having trouble hearing the voice of God, I want to deal with that and then take us home to a place that I think we'll all appreciate. If you cannot hear the voice of God, knowing that God wants to speak, knowing that we are emotional creatures and knowing that our emotions never run deeper than when we hear words that are aptly spoken at the right time and right place, what's the problem then? When you be, say, please, a little bit of psychology here. We're going to get to the passage. It's all related. We're just going to approach it through the back door. What, what's the problem then? If you're having trouble hearing from God, You have to ask yourself at least three questions, and here's what they are. The first one is this. What prejudices and insecurities did I bring into my relationship with God? Here's the thing. When you become a Christ follower, it's not like everything melts away that's a problem in your life. Those things that happen to you when you're young are deep-seated, and they go with you, and sometimes it's a lifelong journey. My mentor told me about an Olympian runner Uh, with whom he had developed a a really personal relationship. And this Olympian was going to run in the 1996 uh, uh, Olympics in Atlanta. He had trained all of his life for this moment. He was heavily favored because he had won all the preliminary heats with ease. But he told my mentor that just seconds, when they're on their mark, just seconds before the gun went off, he froze and the thought entered his mind, I wonder if my father is watching. Because his father had told him that he would never amount to anything. And hearing that in his own mind, he froze for just half a second. But half a second is an eternity in the 100 meters. It cost him so much. 
And that reminded me that deep are the marks and the wounds that we carry with us for the rest of our lives. Unfortunately, our view of God has much to do with the environment in which we were raised. And when we become a Christ follower, those, those influences don't magically disappear. Let me give you an example. My father and my mother were extremely religious. We went to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I had a strong sense of religious duty, but I misunderstood and misused it in the early days of my, my walk with Jesus. For years, I carried that over into my relationship and I would do things and I would say to God, look, God, did you see what I just did? Did you see the, how I helped that homeless person? Did you see how I just resisted, resisted temptation? Did you see how I read my Bible and went to church three times this week? Now, if that's your approach to God, seriously, what happens in a relationship like that? I can tell you, you began over time to resent God. Why? Because you serve the God of perpetual responsibility. And you know in your mind, down deep inside, that you can never do enough, pray enough, or be good enough. Now, who wants to be around a God that you know in his presence you never measure up? Who actually wants to communicate with somebody that every time you go into their presence reminds you of how bad you are? Our prejudices and insecurities often prevent us from hearing the voice of God or even desiring to hear the voice of God. A, a quick illustration, we were in London uh, when Delaney, my son, was about 13 years old and I'd ask him to type out the address on our GPS. Now, if you know getting around London is not easy. I don't know why I rented a car, never do it again. You don't need a car. But we're trying to get from the airport to the hotel and it felt like, and we were all tired, we'd been on a plane all night that we were going around in circles. And I got a little harsh with Delaney, something that I regretted. And immediately... He put on his headphones and started listening to music. And I was telling him to remove his headphones and his mother said to me, don't you realize every time you're hard on him, he just disconnects. If your God is the God that every time you come into his presence, you view that God as somebody who's gonna bring up all your faults. I'm gonna tell you, you're gonna have a hard time hearing the voice of God. And the reason you look at God that way is because that's the environment in which you've been raised. Somehow, that's your view of God. We had a prayer meeting this past Monday. And for those of you who have attended those, you know they're pretty special. And I don't want to use any names and I don't want to use any identifying markers, but we were going through a prayer time. It was, it was intense. And I was on the stage and I looked down and I saw a young lady. And at first I thought maybe she was going through chemo. And I could hear the voice of God tell me, go down and pray. I want you to go and pray with her. So we had situations where men were praying with men, women with women. So I went down and I spoke with her and I walked her over to three of the women that I have a lot of respect for when it comes to their prayer life. And I asked them to pray. As I listened to their prayers, here is a young girl who has become so addicted to a drug that it is actually killing her. The problem is that her view of God is that because of this addiction, God has abandoned her and she cannot come in the presence of God and ask for help. After all, she's a sinner. I prayed that God would open her eyes to the fatherhood of God. How does a good father see a child who is suffering? You think about that for a moment. If my child is making decisions and they're suffering, Tell me something. Do I want to abandon the child or does my heart weigh heavy? Is there a wound because this is a child I love? And I think in God's 
economy that if his children could really and truly understand the gospel, how that when we are walking away, even when we're in the process of self-destruction, he is still a father who loves us and who wants to compel us and draw us into relationship so that the healing might come. The problem is a lot of people come into the relationship with God with deep wounds, emotional baggage from the people in their past who've let them down and they've projected that kind of attitude on God, their heavenly father. So they see God as some kind of authoritative taskmaster who watches your every move ready to pounce. There's a great play, one of my favorite plays ever written is called Raisin in the Sun by Lorraine Hansberry. I believe it was on Broadway for many, many years. It's about an African-American family in Harlem. The father dies and leaves the family $10,000. It's a very poor family. And the mother says, finally, at least with this money, now this is going back a long time ago, this will allow us to fulfill our dreams of having a little house in North Jersey. The son comes to the mother and begs for the money. Please give me the money. I've never had a break. I've never been able to get a job. And I can take this money and go into business with a friend. And he assures me that if I give him the $10,000, we'll start this new business and it will generate more and more income and we'll have purpose, we'll have significance, we'll achieve something. The mother, of course, doesn't want to do it. She doesn't want to give all the money, but the son keeps begging and pleading. This is my chance, mother, to do something, to make something with my life. And she thinks to herself, how can I deny my son? And if you know the play, you know what happens. She gives him the money and his friend takes the money and leaves town. And the son is battered and beaten and destroyed. And when he comes home, his sister, Baritha, tears into him, rips him apart in great disdain and contempt, says, how could you have been so stupid? And I love the lines of the mother to the daughter. She says, I thought I taught you to love him. Love him, there's nothing left to love. There's always something left to love. And if you ain't learned that, then you ain't learned nothing. Have you cried out for that boy today? I don't mean for yourself and for your family because we lost the money. I mean for him and what he's been through and what it's done to him. Child, she says, when do you think it's time to love somebody the most? When they've done good and made things easy for everybody, then you ain't through learning because that ain't the time at all. It's when he's at his lowest and can't believe in himself because the world's done whipped him so. When you start measuring somebody, child, measure him right. Be sure you know what hills and valley he's been through, valleys that he's been through to get to wherever he is. You know what the Bible calls that? Calls that agape, unconditional love. And when you make Jesus the most important person in your life and you understand the very core of the gospel, then you know that you have a loving father who sees your struggles, a loving savior who empathizes with your pain and a loving friend who sticks closer than a brother. Until you allow the truth of God's acceptance to overwhelm all your past insecurities, you will have great difficulty hearing the voice of God. And for those of you who fit into that category, I encourage you to pray as best you can for a Jesus revelation that your eyes may be open to the depth and the width of the power of God's love for you. Now, here's the second question. If you're having a hard time hearing the voice of God, you have to ask yourself, what wrong ideas about God have you brought into your relationship with God? Now, this is different than the first. The first has to do with insecurities and environment and the way you look at authority. The second has to do with the way you actually see God. And this is so important because not everything that glitters is gold and not every teacher of God's word is purely motivated. 
Be careful of teachers and preachers who are more interested in making you laugh and are more entertaining than giving you something to hold on to that will sustain you throughout the course of your life. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. There is a spiritual reaction that no one knows for sure how it happens, but it occurs when Jesus in you, the Holy Spirit, meets the Word of God delivered to you. There's a type of spiritual combustion. So when somebody says, talk to me, God, come on. God says, open the Word and listen to my voice. Let the two come together. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me want to dance and sing With every single breath I breathe I will bring this offering You are my wonder You bring the wonder Today 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 with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.